Welcome to our Future Impact podcasts, hosted by Bristol Business School and Bristol Law School at UE Bristol. During the series, we aim to bring you cutting edge research and talk to academics and practitioners about the real issues and future opportunities for businesses today. We'd love to hear what you think of the series and for you to comment on what we discuss. You can do that through our social media channels or by emailing fbl.news at uwe.ac.uk. Hello and welcome to the CBL podcast series. Today I am talking with Linda Williams, Head of External Engagement, and Dr Jenna Pandelli, Associate Professor in Organisation Studies, about their new project in partnership with the charity project Remake, which delivers enterprise education to previously incarcerated people, enabling them to develop skills, confidence and network to successfully establish their own businesses. My name's Jenna Pandelli and I'm an Associate Professor at UWE. My research or my PhD research was all in privately contracted prison labour. So I spent 10 months in a UK-based prison exploring prisoners' attitudes towards doing work for private companies. A lot of what came out of that ended up being out of 40 people that I interviewed. Almost all of them wanted to start their own businesses. So that was their aspirations for when they were released from prison. So based on that, me and Linda started getting chatting around what we could do about it. And yes, that's how this project started. I'm Linda Williams. I've come into academia from industry. My background is politics. I'm also passionate about embedding professional qualifications into pieces of work to ensure that people get recognition for any training that they've undertaken. I am very, very lucky to be working with Jenna on this project around people who have previously been incarcerated to enable them to gain qualifications that are recognisable in the world of industry talking about this project more specifically what are your aspirations i think this is pretty much years in the making isn't it lynn i think we've had several yeah. corridor conversations where lynn found out about what my research interests were and lynn obviously shares a lot of similar interests around providing ex-prisoners with qualifications and things like that so we started to kind of form some ideas about what we wanted to do and just by chance we were put in touch with this amazing charity project remake so the founder of that is a, a man called camille khan who's got a background in law, who's doing some guest lecturing at Stanford. So he's a man of many talents. But one of the things he's started up recently is this charity Project Remake, which is based on Stanford projects called Project Remade, which is about giving ex-prisoners skills around enterprise and entrepreneurship. And what we loved the most about the charity was that they did a course that gave people skills and knowledge and all of those things around enterprises, starting businesses. But it also was really, really closely linked to industry. So it had loads of businesses involved, loads of experts, loads of people with all of that kind of knowledge and experience of starting the business and links to organisations that were going to hire them afterwards. So we carefully audited the last class that they did with Queen Mary and we said we wanted to get involved in it. So we're the first university partnering with Project Remake who are actually taking the education side of it. So previously Project Remake did most of the 
aspects of the course so the education the work placements the kind of have this dragon's den at the end where all of the participants can present their business ideas to people from different industries and get lots of feedback so they were doing all of that and what we said we wanted to do was we wanted to get involved in the education side of it pretty much run that side of it and bring a Lynn in to be the wonderful person to give everything some nice qualifications so yes it's a wonderful collaboration that means that the people on the course get experience from lots of different types of people so they get academics they get people from industry they get people from charities and everyone kind of working together to bring the best bits that they can to the project i think also it's just worth saying that a lot of people who are incarcerated are very enterprising and entrepreneurial and it's just challenging those skills in this course and this is why i've always wanted to work with jenna and had loads of conversations in the corridor and over numerous cups of tea around how we could actually do something and this project just seemed ideal and we can embed the ILM leadership and management qualification in there really quite easily to enable them to get a portable qualification if they decide that they don't then want to set up a business but they then want to put themselves into the world of work. What is the importance of that qualification? Uh, Well in my other project that I do within prisons it's quite relevant that many People who have been incarcerated do not hold pieces of paper that are recognised by industry. So a lot of them might not have done well at school or might not have been to school or whatever. And it just seems that the ILM, which is a professional recognised body, so it's the Institute of Leadership and Management, which is recognised across the world, it's so flexible that we could actually embed two units within the delivery of the programme. Just to add two things to what Lynn was saying there, um, firstly, for lots of the learners on this course, they actually won't have a lot of positive experience of education in that particular form, may not have come out of school or college or anything like that with a lot of qualifications. Some have, but just not everybody. And so this is a really positive thing for all the people I spoke to while I was in prison. Getting those level twos, those level ones, and kind of saying, you know, I've done this is really, really important. But the other side of it is that because Project Remake is linking with Capita, um, the the ILM qualifications will actually be used to demonstrate that they have a particular level of skills. I think the ILM level three will be doing two of them is the equivalent of A-levels. So what that means is when they do go for the placements at Capita, they can bypass a lot of the training and jump into either full employment or kind of just some skills training at the beginning before being able to cement a job there. It is being used by these organisations to show that the learners have kind of ticked these boxes, they have these skills that we've developed on the course. So so yes, it has some inspirational, like self-efficacy, confidence-building aspects, but also some really practical things in that employers will use these to help them secure a job as well. It is a real kind of practical currency in the world of industry. Because um, employers understand what ILM is and what ILM stands for. That's why we've kind of done it, really. How many students are going to be part of each course? We've got funding for 40. Yeah, so we've got funding for 40 in total and we'll be running three cohorts. And so I think the first cohort, there'll be around 15 on that, which means we'll have room for about 15 on the second cohort and then 10 for the main cohort. Yeah. And I think also it's worth saying that from... Project Remake's work that they've been doing already. I think they've run how many courses have they run, Jenna? About seven eight. or eight. Yeah, and that's they have awesome. zero reoffending. Wow. Tells us a little bit about the course, so we want to kind of look at that in a more detailed, in-depth way. So clearly, they're doing something right. We're going to hope to contribute to that. 
the research is the thing that we're hoping will do that, will increase the funding and will put push organisations and government to understand that this is where we should be spending our money as well. So, yeah, that's what we hope the research will achieve. I can imagine there's a lot of moving parts in the project. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are your guys' specific roles? Because I, I'm already a large ILM centre within the southwest at UE, I also knew that they had the City and Guilds Foundation. So I contacted them and did some digging to see if they would be willing to fund this project. And it was all quite positive. And so I then went to Jenna and said, come on, we've got to have a conversation with these people together because I need you. You're the academic with all the knowledge. I, I need you. And so we had a conversation with City and Guilds Foundation and they not only funded three cohorts of the project, they're also funding research that will sit alongside the project as well, which is just fabulous news. So I found the money, worked with Jenna to find the money, really. And then my other bit is making sure the ILM is embedded and doing the ILM bit. And I've also got the joy of the finance. No, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of do all the bits around the edge, really. Um, leave hopefully leaving Jenna and whoever's delivering the space to focus on the actual delivery. And also Jenna to start doing undertaking a research with these students as well. Pretty much, Lynn, we can't do this without each other. If I drop off, you can't do it. But if Lynn drops off, there is no way I can do it. She's managing the money. She's been instrumental in getting all the funding. Um, so I think we've, we, I mean, we just love working together. We've been a, a, a We're brilliant team. team. We're we are the team. Yeah, we are. We're the A team. <laughs> so I have kind of two hats in this. So the, the one hat is that I'm leading the course. So I've gathered a dream team of academics to deliver the, the course. And we're doing that through online workbooks. So what happens is the participants on the course work through a workbook independently. It's got mini lectures in, tasks, activities, and they work through that. And then we have an online seminar to go alongside that. We're a UE academic with a specialist in a particular area. So for example, if the week is marketing, we've got someone from marketing to work with the people on the course and kind of go through that workbook and kind of cement all of their knowledge. So I've been basically designing and creating that course from scratch, along with some amazing academics at UE. So there's, I think, about five, six of us who are kind of putting all of this together. And then my other role is doing the research. So I'm going to participate in the course, design the course, lead that. And then the other side of things, I'm looking at research in the course and looking at the impact that it has. So I think there's kind of three key areas that we're looking at to understand whether the course is doing what we want it to do. So we're looking at self-efficacy, so whether it has an impact on the participants' self-belief, uh, their confidence and all of those kind of things. Then we're looking at whether it has an impact on their employment opportunities. So far, I think quite a lot of the people starting the course are unemployed. We're hoping to see a change in that throughout their time on the course. And then lastly, we're looking at whether it has an impact on reoffending and rehabilitation. So we'd like to see that none of our participants end up having to go back to prison. So they're the three kind of things we're measuring. To do that, what I'm doing is interviewing as many of the participants who are willing at different stages throughout the course. Before they start the course, seeing what their attitudes are, seeing how they're getting on, just getting a general feel for, for them as a person and how they're doing. And then I'll check back in once the education part of the course is finished in about eight weeks time, just before Christmas or just after Christmas. Then we'll check again at different stages. So I'm pretty much going to monitor all the participants for a whole year. So they'll be interviewed again for the last time, this time next year, to see how things are, whether they're in work, 
you know, how they're feeling about life generally and those kind of things. So yes, it's a pretty long-term scale research that will keep me busy all year, but really exciting as well. It's going to be quite interesting what comes out of the research because one of the Ministry of Justice's big things or big push that's coming up is to stop reoffending so that people do find work and can, can resettle. So it could even start influencing, you know, Ministry of Justice thinking the, the piece of work that um, Jen is doing. Which yeah, is about how we do that, isn't it? Like, how, yeah. how do you, because it's all good and well saying you want to reduce reoffending, but, you know, this is not just, you, you have to kind of tackle it with so many different aspects. It's not exactly. employment alone isn't going to solve it. No. Housing alone isn't going to solve it. It's kind of trying to have a more holistic picture of what that might look like. Totally agree. I don't think we can take away the whole fact that it builds their confidence and their self-belief, really. In speaking to people this week, what I'm finding is that coming out of prison, they are swimming against the tide. They are fighting and fighting to like be a, a member of society, an active participating member of society, and everything seems to be working against them. There are silly things like one of the participants being offered housing, but it's in a completely separate area to where their probation officer is, and they'd have to change probation officers. They have a really good relationship with their probation officer. They're being really supported, and so they're really reluctant to get permanent housing. I think we really underestimate how tough things are when you get released from prison and you're just thrown into this world and you're still having to tick lots of different boxes. So the more that we can do to support people at that stage, that hopefully the easier it will be for them because at the moment it's not particularly easy. No. How can businesses get involved in a project like this? I mean, it would be fabulous if we could have some businesses in the Southwest who would be willing to have some of our students on work experience placements. I mean, even if they had them for 12 weeks, that would be fabulous. Capita's a large organisation, but it would be great if other businesses would be willing to explore with us the opportunities of having an ex-defender who'd gone through this course yeah. on a 12-week work experience placement and the opportunity of maybe a job at the end. Totally agree then. I think I'll look at this on two kind of scales. We'll look more broadly at what organisations can do generally and then more specifically on what they can do with us if they were like to get involved so more broadly there is just an absolutely huge amount of stigma attached to hiring people with a criminal record i i uh, wrote something a while ago about uh, james timpson hiring people who've come out of prison and he just thinks it's a missed opportunity for people to to just come disregard this huge group of people a huge talent pool and he talks about the fact that giving people this opportunity, creating that loyalty, creating that trust means that you end up having employees for life. It's a missed opportunity and I think we need to do a lot more removing that stigma and saying, well, you've been to prison, that's done now. Okay, what do we do next? And I think more broadly, there needs to be a, a big campaign to reduce the stigma attached to it. I also think that lots of organisations get involved in charities and charitable things, but prison leavers and that kind of stuff it's not the sexy stuff is it it's not the cool chic things that people want to be involved in so I don't think it's something that traditionally organizations see as this CSR project that would make them look appealing but I think we need to kind of do something about that and not all the charitable doings need to be the sexy stuff the other thing of like kind of looking more specifically at us there's a few ways that organizations could get involved if they if they would want to and uh, one of that could be uh, participating in the course mentoring um, we're looking to hear from entrepreneurs who've started their own businesses, put together business stories. So if there were organisations or entrepreneurs who think that they could have an impact or think they could support the course in any way 
like that, that would be wonderful. And then the other part of it is exactly what Lynn said is about hiring. So again, looking for organisations in the Southwest who'd be interested in hiring people after they've completed the course, after they've got their ILM qualification and prove that they've kind of committed to this, they've completed it. You can only graduate from the course and go on to the work placements if there's 100% participation. So they're showing enthusiasm, they're showing commitment to all of this. So yes, if there were employers interested in hiring, that would be wonderful. Yeah, and, and building on from what Jenna said, I think that it is difficult for them when they come out because, of course, in every application form, there's the box that people have to tick if they've been in prison. And although there's a huge campaign to get rid of the box, that's kind of still there. Still there. And James Timpson is remarkable what he does. And then Tesco's do quite a bit of work. I think Amazon has started branching into that. So people realise that it's an untapped talent pool. Yeah. It just it it just needs a few more to kind of start changing that. Changing the mindset and changing the Hopefully. culture and the attitudes yeah. around it. Yeah, I agree. The, the names that you've mentioned are huge conglomerates mm. that are tapping into this pool and it almost feels that smaller medium-sized businesses are missing a trick by not doing the same um i agree i think i agree for small businesses i think they're it's a, a bigger risk i think they might be a little bit more nervous about doing this but i i suspect that it's when you find the right people whether they've been in prison or they haven't that 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 shouldn't matter so it's just finding the right people for the job so yeah i think small businesses my guess is maybe are a little bit hesitant, a little bit more nervous. They might feel like they've got a lot more to lose, I'm not sure. Or don't even know how to go about it yeah. or what safeguards yeah. they have to put in yeah. place or things. Yeah. Because if they are small, they won't have a massive HR department or safeguarding department or, or things like that because that's not how their business is set up. Yeah. Is there anything else that you feel that we might have not touched on today about this project that you want to talk about? Um, I think maybe it's just worth mentioning kind of the different levels of the different groups of people that benefit from this. Like businesses, it's untapped talent. Government, it's huge amounts of savings. So I think it costs, well, it'll be more now, cost of living crisis and inflation, all those things. But it costs around uh, £30,000 or between thirty pounds and £40,000 a year to um, hold a prisoner. Um, now, w w that money could be... a a lot better spent if we were to invest in helping people start businesses to help people get employed and all those things so we see all of that side of stuff we see all these kind of tangible benefits of, of doing things like this but also it should just be there because it's the right thing to do because lots of people who've been to prison have been hugely disadvantaged they're more likely to have grown up in care they're more likely to have family members in prison they're more likely to have had a difficult start in life so when they get out we should be doing more to say we, we accept that it's we're in a very privileged position that we didn't have that difficult start at the beginning or if that's the case. So yes, it's just kind of thinking about all the beautiful benefits that society gets from doing this, but also just the fact that it, it is the right thing to do. I echo that, you know, on another project that I work on with people who are still in prison, we do in-cell learning and we've started accrediting by giving them a digital credential, the courses yes. that they undertake in prison, which have they have to complete a workbook and have to get 70% plus to actually get the digital badge. And in the five months that I've been there, the uptake has gone up by 200%. And so wow. there is an appetite for learning and they understand that they need to get bits of paper or something recognised to be able to help them in the world of work when they come out. Because there are, as Jenna spoke about earlier, the 
it, the odds are stacked against them before yeah. they even come out the gate. Even something as simple as how we use smartphones and they might not yeah. have a smartphone so they can't do anything. The guys I work with in the in-cell learning, they were doing something around how to use self-service tools because yeah. those are, for some of them, they've never known what those are. Yeah. So they can't integrate into society if they don't know how to operate in society when they come out. Even now, we're trying to track down lots of laptops for the course users to use because lots of them have just got out of prison and a laptop is, what, £500 at the minimum or something like like that? So, you know, no one's... They come out of prison with, I think it's about £48, something around that number. So, yeah, we're, we're trying to kind of put all those things together. How can you learn? How can you do any of those things without internet, without a laptop? So, yeah, there's a lot of obstacles that we need to get over to get to where we want to be, isn't and, it? And... And that, that's a really good point because actually if there's any businesses that have unused laptops that they would Spot be willing on. to donate to us for this project that the, the students could use, that would be fabulous. Yes. We would be very, very happy good if they could contact us. Wow. Thank you very much, guys. Um, and then my final question, if you could give the listener just one takeaway from this podcast what would it be? My one big takeaway, particularly if this is going out to people from industry and business, would be kind of working to remove that stigma. So um, kind of trying to understand that there's huge potential from people who've just come out of prison. Um, and I think as organisations, if you invest in people and you might reap the rewards at the end of it. So yeah, my, my big one takeaway would be let, a, a bit of a campaign to try and remove the stigma attached to people who come out of prison and support them rather than stigmatise them. That's a good one. You can't copy I, me now, Lynn. I'm not copying you, but I would also <laughs> say with my humanitarian head on that everybody deserves a chance. Thank you both for coming on to our podcast today. I think you've both got some really sage takeaways there. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to be part of a future impact podcast or would like to comment on anything we've discussed, please do email us at fbl.news at uwe.ac.uk or search Bristol Business School or Bristol Law School on Twitter.